The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witts University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on China-Africa relations through training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from sub-China, Eric Olander. Today we're joined by Francophone editor Jeronima from the beautiful island of Mauritius. A very good afternoon to you, Jeron. Good afternoon to you, Eric. Jeron, today we're going to come to you to get your expertise on something you know all too well about the Congolese mining industry and get an update on what's going on in the cobalt sector in particular. There's been a lot of news over the past couple of weeks, ever since U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken went to Kinshasa and talked a lot about Russia. Didn't talk a lot about China for the most part, but there was an undercurrent about China. But today we're going to be talking about the fact that cobalt and one of the strategic resources that goes to power electric vehicle batteries is very much in the news let me just give a, a few updates on a couple of things before I hear from you about the situation on the ground in the Congo. First, China Mali, which is one of the largest mining companies in the world and a very big player in the Congolese cobalt sector, uh, they reported their first half profit that went up 72% for the first six months of the year compared to the same time last year. The company generated $606 million in net profits due to higher prices for copper, cobalt, and all of the various other metals that they mine, not only in the Congo, but around the world. Also, a very important development here in California this week, the California Air Resources Board announced that by 2035, all passenger vehicles will be electrified. Now, that's a very important regulation that's being passed here because California is the largest auto market in the United States. They're going to phase that in so that uh, by 2026, 35% of of all new passenger vehicles will need to be electrified. That requirement then goes up to 68% by 2030, which 2026 and 2030 are just a few years away. So the push towards electrification is going to step up a lot, leading all the way up to 2035, when again, no passenger vehicles will be allowed with internal combustion engines. The reason why California is so important is because it sets the standard for many other U.S. states and it potentially could shift the entire market in the United States towards EV. Now, that's very important because right now, a lot of the materials that go to power electric vehicles, this is lithium, cobalt, all of these, these metals and these minerals, some are in very short supply. Cobalt, interestingly enough, has been the focus for a long time as being one of the resources that is in potentially short supply. And we've seen now a surplus of it. Prices for cobalt have fallen 40% over the past year. So there's actually quite a bit of supply of cobalt. The one now that everybody's watching is lithium. So, Giraud, with all of that in mind, the dynamics of what's happening in the Congo, also what's happening here in California, are both related to one another because they're all about the strategic minerals and metals. However, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where 60 to 70% of the world's known reserves of cobalt exist, there has been a standoff between the state-owned mining company Jekamines 
and China Mali, who we talked about at the beginning of the program. Gérald, let's start our program with just a brief overview of the latest on the standoff between those two entities, because there have been some developments this week. So yes, as you say, there is a standoff between China Mali, China Mali Bedam, that sometimes we call CIMOC, and the JECAM in the state owned and the state company in DRC. So as we are speaking right now, the standoff is is now the fact that China Mali is accusing Jekamin to block the export of this truck, um, the minerals containing cobalt and copper out of the DRC. And Jekamin is still accusing China Mali to, st- uh, to, 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 to stop him to get access to the TFM taken from Rume mine uh, site. So this is the situation. And the last uh, development that we had was the Prime Minister Samalu Konde had called both parties on uh, talk so they can find a way to solve the issue to end up the dispute. But the last information we had about that, only the, uh, only China Moli attended the meeting and we even covered that um, two, two days ago in the in in the newsletter and we talked about it on on on, on the f- both French and English website. So the China Moli delegates attended by Jekamin and other delegates of the other parts of the, the, the dispute did not attend the, the meeting. So it says a lot about the environment, the perception that different actors they do have toward the prime minister and the role he can play into solving that issue. We've seen and we've seen that in the past that he tried to meddle into the dispute to try to give Simok uh, some guarantees that the judicial process that we're not going to move forward, but we saw that how much the, ju- the judicial process moved forward with the court-appointed administrator who took uh, who took his uh, who took his um, his position into the TFM into the t- into the TFM project. So. It's still not. It's still unknown how much uh, political leverage the prime minister does have in to to be able to broke uh, in an agreement between the both parties. So let's back up a little bit for those who have not been following this story quite as closely as we have. CMOC, by the way, is just another way of saying China Mali. So that was the reference there. The Tenke Fungurume mine is is really one of these incredible places. It is just a massive, massive mine. And it's both copper and cobalt, but in the cobalt space in particular, it accounts for somewhere between 10 to 14% of the world's entire supply. So there is a very good chance that if you are driving a Tesla in suburban Paris or in Walnut Creek, California, there is a little bit of the TFM mine in that car. There is a very, very good chance that that's happening because the quantity of cobalt that comes out of that particular mine is just enormous. Now, as you mentioned, the trucks are not moving right now. As far as we know, that they have blocked the export of the trucks from leaving the country, which is a major setback, which is surprising to me that cobalt prices, low as they are right now, have not taken that into account. But apparently the market seems satisfied with the quantities of supply that are available and the dispute that's in the TFM mine right now between Jekamines and China Mali does not seem to be affecting the price of cobalt, at least for now. Let's kind of back up and give a little bit of context of how we got here. So the key question here is this issue of the reserves, where the Chinese said there was X amount available in the ground 
and the Congolese said there's Y amount in the ground, and that's what they're fighting for. Can you just give us a little bit of background so people have some context for what these two sides are fighting over? So basically, as you said, China Mali has declared when China Mali took over TFM project because they took over in 2016. They took it from the American Freeport McMoran. So when they took over the project, they declared a certain amount of reserve. So based on those reserves, they were to pay Jekamin and the Congolese state a certain amount of royalties. So over the years, Jekamin came to with this with this accusation and allegation saying that China Moli has been underestimated the real reserve of TFM because they somehow find it suspicious that China Moli was always increasing his investment in the TFM project. The last one that rang bell was the when they announced they were going to invest 1.8 billion into TFM. That's when all the red alerts just went red into Jekamin and the Congolese government to try to understand how for that amount of reserve they keep on pushing in terms of investment. So a revision committee has been put in place that was under the presidency, President Chisekedi office to, to, to manage the, the revision committee to understand what's happening. The revision committee came with a conclusion saying that CMOC has been underestimated, uh, has been underestimating the, the real reserve and thus creating a huge um, a huge loss for Jekamin and the Congolese government. So after that, of course, CMOC went on to contesting those numbers, saying it's not true. They have not been underestimating the reserve, and the accusations are not are not are not right. And in December, Jekamin went to the court in Lubumbashi in the southeastern DRC and pressed charges against CMOC and wanted to, a, a, a temporary administrator to be appointed so they can have a third party running TFM mine while both parties find an agreement. But despite that, CMOC, in February, when the court appointed the new administrator, CMOC opposed his, uh, his appointment and it's been a back and forth and fight. CMOC tried to, to, to get the prime minister involved to find a, a peaceful a, a peaceful resolution. He couldn't find that. By May, the, tempor the uh, temporary administrator took office after CMOC really, really strongly opposed his, uh, his, uh, his appointment. So at the end, and we find that Jekamin, with the temporary administrator, they, they control the administration of CMOC, uh, of the TFM project, but CMOC is still controlling the production site, I mean the TFM mine. So we know that for a long time, Jekamin was expressing his frustration that how how difficult it was for them to access the mine. And they even hinted the fact that they may lead, they may want the solution of this partnership. But we also know that they've said in the past that they were they were going to stop the, the export of those trucks and which that finally happened. And we saw that last week how Simo complained about that now they cannot export the, the natural resources out of the RC. But why is the flashpoint happening at the TFM mine with China Mali, when in fact the same thing seemed to have happened between Jekamines and Sikomines, which was the, the granddaddy of all the China mining deals in the DRC. That was the $6 billion, what they called the deal of the century, where they also said that there were, uh, or at least there's accusations that the Chinese understated the value of the reserves. Why is the flashpoint happening at TFM and not in other mining contracts like, like the Sikomines deal? Because TFM, as you said earlier, TFM is between 10 to 14% uh, 
cobalt production in the world. It's a massive. We are talking about billions of billions. When we read Jacqueline's number, Jacqueline is talking about $7.5 billion that CIMOC owes them. So it's a huge amount of money. And plus, when we talk about 10 to 14% world's cobalt, we also have that geopolitical aspect of the, of, of the geopolitical component of the conflict that we have there. As I said earlier, TFM was an American-owned company, was owned by Freeport McMoran. So when China took over it, and now we saw all the US-China rumble over the world about geostrategic minerals, so you see how it became a focus point, not only in the DRC, but also for some people into Washington to try to understand what was happening in CIMOG, uh, in, in TFM mine. And don't forget that we have a new president in DRC since 2018, who showed more? Who showed to be more close to the U.S. administration or to U.S. diplomat than Chinese diplomat? So when you put all that into the context, you see why you have so much attention to TFM. And from the Jacobin side, when you talk to people on the ground, they keep on telling you TFM is a very huge, important mines to them, and they cannot just let Simo go 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 away with that. With Sikomin, it was different because it was kind of a government-to-government deal and agreement. They find a way to compensate. And let's not forget that at that time, it was President Kabila who was more close to Chinese than China than President Shisekedi right now. So you have all that to put in the context to understand why it's taking so long to be, to, to be solved. On this issue of the U.S. and the Chinese, again, Antony Blinken was just in Kinshasa. It's very difficult for outsiders, for those of us who don't really understand the dynamics as well as you do, to see and to better understand which way the Congolese lean, if there is a way, in fact. That is, on the one hand, they look like they're very close with the Chinese. Uh, the relationship between President Chesikadi and Ambassador Zhu Jing looks to be very positive, very healthy. And at the same time, uh, there's a very close relationship with the United States. Does the United States have any influence on this deal or on the mining sector to be able to sway the outcome? Or is it just an observer just like the rest of us and the politics are so complicated that really at the end of the day, what's going to happen is going to happen irrespective of the grand geopolitics? The big question comes to who's driving and what is U.S. policy into DRC. When you look at how the U.S. has been uh, behaving and involved into DRC, you come to the conclusion that you really don't have a strong U.S. policy in Washington toward the DRC. You, you, you still have much more uh, lobbies and former diplomats playing a, having a certain influence in what may happen into DRC than having a huge U.S. policy behind it. So, the Congolese politicians, they, they also play into that context. We saw that and earlier when uh, U.S. Ambassador, Ambassador Mike Hammer was still um, in, in post in Kinshasa. He was very close to President Chisekedi. A lot of promises was made that Americans' company were going to come to the U.S. To, from the U.S. to the to DRC to invest. We're going to see a lot of it, but none of it happened. In the same time, President Chisekedi never visited never went paid a visit to china even before covid we didn't see much of traction between us and drc government and the chinese government though we still have a lot of chinese present to the drc so when you have that and then you have the political situation to the drc when now you have instability in the east and election coming in 2023 now you see political influence 
um, security in the situation starting to play into 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 DRC politics. The president, that the Congolese government is not turning more into Russia, the former allies, like those who were close to President Kabila, Russia and China. They start, they're turning to Russia, talking about buying buying weapons from 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 Russia because they need to to they need to, to equip the DRC uh, uh, the DRC uh, the DRC army against the M23 in the east of DRC. You have all that situation. At the end, it gives you a quite difficulties to know where exactly DRC as a state and as government is leaning toward to. We saw that last week, the Congolese Ministry of Defense had quite, let's say, more friendly words and approach with Russia because there, there was this meeting in Moscow about defense and security. It was really more open to Russia. So that may explain why U.S. may look at what's happening DRC in the Russian influence in a certain way. So it's very complicated to see. It is very complicated, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand the dynamics of everything going on, and I'm not sure anybody really does, given the nature of Congolese politics and how confusing and complicated it is. But on this issue of the cobalt, the United States just passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a weirdly named act uh, law for the new climate bill, and there's a lot of climate provisions in that bill. One of the things that is very prominent in the law is what they call the onshoring or the reshoring. It's basically trying to reassert control over the supply chains for critical resources like cobalt. The part that I don't understand is that the United States really didn't have control over cobalt because Freeport Moran sold its assets in the DRC to China Mali. That's what led to the massive TFM mine and this big, huge behemoth of a mine. What leverage, if any, do the Americans have if they want to try and get China out of the cobalt supply chain? It doesn't seem like it's possible that I can see it, but is there any that you can see in terms of if the United States wanted to try and squeeze the Chinese out of the Congo for cobalt? Is that even possible? My question will be, do the financial institutions or the private sector in the U.S. that are involved into EVs, uh, all those energy transition business, do they want to see China out of the U? Do they want to see China out of DRC? This is the big question because we tend to see that what Washington wants is not what Wall Street wants in the U.S. We see many how much U.S. government and politicians have been talking about to get China out of uh, the supply chain. Of of those strategic minerals. But in the same time, we also see uh, U.S. companies signing deals with Chinese companies in, in that same sector, in that same business. So it just tells you that it's really quite difficult to, to talk, to say if the U.S. can do something. The question would be, does the U.S. really want to do something against it? Because when you see how businesses, private businesses are behaving to Chinese companies, you really don't see that willingness to outside, to out, to 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 put China out of the DRC. They in the, at, at that regard, they may let American and Chinese company do the business in this in that risk environment of DRC and still find a way to do business with China when the process, when the refining has been done, when everything has been there, and just sell it to American companies. It's kind of a win-win for them. Yeah. So that. Uh... The, the, the deals that uh, Giro is referencing are Ford and Tesla both announced very large battery supply deals with CATL and other Chinese battery makers. And that came two weeks before Blinken's visit to the Congo. So there was an indication that there's a divergence between U.S. public policy and what corporations want. But let's go back to the conflict right now between TFM and Jacquemins. 
what leverage does Jacqueline's actually have here? Because at the end of the day, there's nobody lining up from the Americans or from the Europeans or from the Japanese or the South Koreans to replace China Mali at the TFM mine. Okay, so it's not like they're, the Jacqueline's can turn around and say, well, if you don't take this deal, then I'm going to go to the next guy because there is no next guy. Okay, okay. So, th- so in terms of that leverage. Secondly, there's another very important point here that, that's worth mentioning, and Bloomberg published a fascinating story this week. It's a trend that we've been following for the past year, but it does seem to be accelerating. Right now, the vast majority of electric vehicle batteries are lithium-ion batteries that include cobalt. However, more and more automakers, led by Chinese automakers and Chinese battery companies, ironically, are now moving to lithium-ion phosphate batteries, LFPs. Those are cobalt-free batteries. BYD, the largest electric vehicle manufacturer in the world, has its Blade battery uh, that is cobalt-free. Also, Tesla, again, here we're hearing from Tesla, in their Model Y and their Model 3 in China are using cobalt-free batteries. It does seem, again, just from an amateur observer here, Jiho, that time is running out for Jacquemines on the cobalt front, that in 2035, when there are no more internal combustion engine cars in California, the electric vehicles that will be running on the streets here in California will not have cobalt in them. So time is not on the side of Jacqueline's on this deal. Yes, time is not on the side of Jacqueline, but in the same time, uh, what you just mentioned, as you say, it's very ironic because we see Chinese leading the leading the, the front on this free cobalt batteries. In the same time, you also have still, since we are talking about CMOC, CMOC announcing like few no, few weeks ago, few months ago, that they're going to invest 2.5 billion in another cobalt project. It's still in DRC. So it's kind of... Sh- yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So if cobalt is a fading, te- you know, a resource for a fading technology, why are they investing billions to develop more of it? That doesn't make sense. I do believe that it's fading. Of course, it's fading for electrical battery, but something we have to keep in mind. Although they're developing alternative to cobalt, so far they have to come up with a very steady one to say, okay, we have to guarantee that we have a, a very viable and very sure alternative, first of all. And second of all, let's not forget that cobalt has other, has other different applications that can be used outside EVs. We do know that now, right now, electrical battery constitute the largest shares of you know cobalt used into the world, but it's not the only one. So we can see there are still many applications that cobalt can, use, can, be, used, can be used for, but for electrical battery, they're going to have to change the model and to change their approach. So that doesn't stop that China still would still want to have much more res- cobalt reserve in, 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 for him just to be sure, to, to be prepared to for, for, for no matter what that may happen in the future. So talking back to Jacqueline now, Jacqueline, of course, doesn't have that time, that luxury of time now. Because what's happening now when... because. When you see all those big companies moving ahead from cobalt and you are Jacqueline and you're hoping to get much money, much more money from those deals, you kind of now wonder what's going to be my exit strategy here. We do know that from different sources on the ground that Jacqueline doesn't want to see China going because they do. They also do know that China is the only one that's ready to come and invest in a very risky environment, just like the GRC. It, it is American companies, French companies will not 
Either they don't have the capacity, either they don't, they don't have the willingness to come and to invest in a very risky environment like DRC. Chinese are the only one who can do that. So I do believe that they just want to find a certain agreement. And to, it's also shows of force and shows of power to see that we are in control. We don't want the Chinese to dictate how things should be done into DRC. We really need to show them that we are still in control. So I do believe that they may find an agreement, but the leverage is gonna, going to be quite difficult. Now they've stopped export. Maybe they're gonna, now going to force Simo to come to sit and find a way to, 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 to find an agreement. What does an agreement actually look like? What are your sources telling you in terms of what a resolution to this standoff looks like? Is it just maybe a check for a billion dollars that's paid to Jacobins? Is it a new contract? Is it finding new partners, maybe bringing in other Chinese mining companies like Zijin or CNMC uh, to maybe split and try and break uh, China Mali's hold? What does the outcome look like in your view? So when you talk to different people on the ground, you have different views. Uh, you have very people with different views on, uh, on that question. You have the political views and you have also the technical view from Jacobin people's inside. So, but what we, when, what we can gather is the fact that First of all, in terms of solution, some people would want, would want, wouldn't mind to see a new Chinese actor coming to the fray, you know. So if CMO can get can get away from the deal, and you have another Chinese company take CMO part, that's gonna be an option for them because. The way things have been going right now, the trust is just not there anymore. The trust between Jacobin executives and uh, yeah, they CMO really don't like each other, do they? They don't like they don't like each other anymore. So even if they come to find an agreement, it won't be in a very trusty, sustainable environment where they're gonna be. They won't be. They be. They'll be able to work together. So. This just just because of that, some of the some people are telling you, you know, we'd like to see another Chinese company. We don't mind another Chinese company coming, taking the deal, and we can move forward. But with CMOC people, we're not really happy about that. We also have another options like, yes, we don't mind that, you know, we can see how much now they're talking about 7.5 billion USD, but they can a lot to reduce. This is my perspective. Don't quote me on that. But they can really a lot to, to, to reduce a certain amount of what they expect from CMOC and defer the payment. But not for them, it's, it's really out of question to say that CMOC, you owe us nothing. They're really expecting that CMOC is going to pay. How much and when CMOC is willing to pay, that's the question. But so far, CMOC has been still standing its ground by saying, I owe Jekamin nothing. I've always been transparent, which from Jekamin's perspective, the revision committee and different people in the Congolese government, it's out of question. CMOC needs to pay. But how much and when, this is the big question. This is one of the most fascinating stories in the China-Africa relationship. It's playing out in all sorts of different ways. It has geopolitical ramifications. It has tech ramifications. It has business ramifications. I mean, it's just a, a hydra-headed monster. It is fascinating to no end. There is really nobody else out there who knows the story as well as Giraud does. Giraud, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now on your site at Projet Afrique Chine and some of the coverage that you're doing on this story and some of the other stories that you're working on. 
So yes, uh, on Project Afrique Chine, we've been we keep on following what's happening into Jekamin, and not only Jekamin and DRC with Simok, we're also following what's happening in Simandu with the, another Chinese company who's also facing another issue over there. We have our podcast that we have every week, and uh, where we where we have different guests, and I'm telling people out there if you're really interested to come on the show to have to have a come to have to have to come and have a talk on China Africa in French. Just write me up and we, you're going to have my email address down below after the show. You're going to have my email address. Just write me up. You're going to have a good conversation. Next week, we're going to have a guest. We are going to talk about China and China soft power in Africa. We talked about it in media a few weeks ago. Next week is going to be a different show, so it's going to be really interesting. So, yes, and we have our bi um, bi-weekly newsletter that comes twice a week. Every Tuesday, every Friday, if you want to subscribe, go to projetafriquechine.com and you just write your email address on the top of the website and you're going to be receiving our newsletter twice a week. And yeah, that's what we've been doing this, these days. It's really fantastic work that he's doing in French. Again, this space in French is completely barren. There is nobody covering this in the detail that Giro is doing. So if you want to follow what's going on and you speak French... Uh, go to Projet Afrique Chine. We'll put links down below in the show notes. And you can sign up for the newsletter for free. So it's not like our English service, which is a paid service. In French, it's 100% free. Also, same in Arabic as well. We have a newsletter that comes out every Thursday in Arabic. Again, also free. And so we have links to all of those just down below in the show notes. Giro, if people want to follow you on Twitter, both for the work you're doing at Projet Afrique Chine and also some of your personal tweets, uh, where can they find you? Okay, if people want to follow me on my personal tweet, is Christian Gero, Christian just like Christian, Gero, G-E-R-A-U-D, in one word, Christian Gero on Twitter. If you want to follow us on Projet Afrique Chine, it's just like Afrique Chine, Afrique with a K, Chine, in one word, Afrique Chine. So yeah, that's where you can find us and everything. If you want, every, just write me in DM, we're going to have a good conversation. Okay, Cobus will be back with us again next week. I'll be heading back to Asia after a couple of months in the U.S. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> it's been a fun time in the U.S., but I'm ready to go home. Ready back, go back to Asia. So I'll be back in Vietnam as of next week, and we're going to kick off the new China Global South podcast, hopefully when I get back to Saigon. So look for that in your feeds as well. And we've got so much incredible coverage going on about everything going on in the China Global South relationship. We're following the debt restructuring deals now underway in Sri Lanka. Also, keep an eye on the creditor committee in Ethiopia that is starting to form. And there's a lot going on with China there, which is the co-chair alongside France. Same setup as they had in Zambia. So a lot of movement on the debt front. We're keeping a close watch on that. Also, we're following events in the South Pacific. The Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force has been conducting trainings down there. The Americans have stepped up their engagement. So a lot of coverage of what we're doing in the South Pacific on our newsletter and on our website. Go to ChinaGlobalSouth.com. If you'd like to receive our newsletter every single day in your inbox, Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. Washington time, just go to ChinaGlobalSouth.com slash subscribe. We've got a great deal, $7 for students and faculty, $15 a month for everybody else. And you get just 
coverage and insights from the team that nobody else is doing. And I'm so proud of the work that Giro and Cobus and everybody else is doing to put together these amazing, amazing insights every day, fresh takes on what the Chinese are doing throughout the Global South. And it's something that, again, if you're in this space and you're following what they're doing, and if you're only following US-China or China-Europe or China-Japan relations, you're missing out. You need that, that context of what's happening elsewhere. And the guys and the team are doing some fantastic work. Again, ChinaGlobalSouth.com slash subscribe. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the show. Giro, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have you back again very soon for an update on what's going on in the Congo and all of the other stories that you're following. So for Giro Nima in Mauritius, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for joining us. The discussion continues online. Tag us on Twitter at ChinaGS Project and visit us at ChinaGlobalSouth.com. If you speak French, check out our full coverage at projetafriquechine.com and Afrique on Twitter. That's Afrique with a K. And you'll also find links to our sites and social media channels in Arabic. <laughs>